Hey folks, I am Rebecca and I have um, the most asked for interview has been with, with Laura Towler. So I'm so pleased to have you with me today. Welcome to my channel and thank you for doing this interview. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm oh, of course. I love your YouTube channel. You've got the, the sweetest voice and you have the, the best <laughs> way of putting a, across content while still retaining this air of positivity that I'm, I'm quite envious of because I've been very blackpilled. So I do have a lot of questions about that. But first, um, I know you recently got married because I was following you on Instagram before you were banned pointlessly and indefensibly. Um, so how's married life treating you? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, we were just talking before we went live, weren't we? And uh, we've not been able to do anything because obviously everything's locked down. In so we're just in the house all the time. But yeah, he's, he's actually just got home from work. I've heard him come in. I'm not <laughs> so he might interrupt. Oh, but, that's okay. Uh, it's, it's brilliant and we're looking forward to being able to actually go out and do stuff together and you know go out for a meal and go on a date again and, and all that stuff but yeah, yeah. it's very good <laughs> so you guys are totally locked down there uh what, what can you what can you do yeah. what can you not do um so it i think the lockdown ended a few days ago i think it was something like the 29th of march or something so now we're allowed to meet in groups of six as long as we socially distance in those groups but, <laughs> Yeah, but everything is shut. So like um, restaurants are shut, cinema, bars, hotels, everything's basically shut. I think the only thing that's open at the moment is essential shops. Um, but then in the middle of April, hairdressers are opening again. Um, I think they're going to tier the, the reopening of everything. But basically, we can't do anything at the moment. But you are actually allowed to go outside for exercise and, and you know, like go see people again now which is good, but it's just, it, it's just beyond a joke. It's just getting ridiculous. And that's what they're calling a lift on the lockdown. Yeah. Well, they, they really tightened up the pressure and I think now they've kind of let a little bit go. People mm. are celebrating being able to, you know, meet one member of the family in a group of six, that kind of thing. Um, but if you look at the bigger picture where we are now to where we are two years ago, it's just, yeah, we're not really allowed to do anything at all. Um, but I don't actually know anyone who's really, followed it or took it seriously if you Good. just kind of got all your information from the internet and these opinion polls you would think that everyone was locked down and you know following all the rules and that kind of stuff but I, I don't know anybody who stopped seeing the family or anything like that but friend groups that people were generally abiding um I don't think so I know people who have still been meeting up with friends and stuff um I suppose you're limited to what you can do because you can go to each other's houses or you can be outside in the park but there's no like no venues open or anything that's so preposterous i mean do you think i've seen a lot of videos of, of european enforcement of the lockdowns but on the ground um i'm not really sure what's going on i did see this video i think it's neil mccoy who was walking around london and it was just there, there was just nobody <laughs> nobody there so is that really what it's like uh are they are they enforcing lockdowns with the aggression well, that i've seen where I am, uh, I, I'm in Leeds, which is in northern England. Obviously, London's in southern England. Um, the the cities are dead, you know, like the big town centres, because all the shops are closed, all the bars are closed. But then in the residential areas where people live, you still see people walking around. I wouldn't say it's any busier now than it was a week ago when we were on lockdown. You still see people in the park and you still see people going to the shops and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I will say in the big cities, it is a lot, a lot quieter. And a lot of the shops have closed down, you know, permanently because they've not been able to withstand the, the lockdown, you know, a lot of sort of small businesses and stuff. They've, they've not, they've not been able to make it through and they've shut down permanently. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when everything yeah. opens up again. Are the majority, the majority people, wearing people wearing masks? masks? Yes. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, I'm, getting, I'm some getting some echo, echo off of me. Uh, do, can you hear that or are you wearing headphones? Uh, I can't hear anything. I don't have headphones on the. Uh-oh. Okay, live chat. Let me know if you can hear my voice on her end or if it goes away. Um, We'll continue. Sorry. It might just be something that I'm hearing, but all right, we're good. Ah, okay. It went away, but they said that they could hear it. Sorry. Um, So do you think that things are ever going to return to some semblance of normalcy or is it just going to be vaccine passports and, and we're going to be, we're going to be doing this forever? 
Yeah, well, they keep saying now something like it's going to take up to two years to sort it out or this is the new normal. They keep dropping in phrases like that. They're talking about obviously having passports to attend pubs and stuff, but I think it will actually be up to the business owner. Um, So we've already been going for over a year. I think the first lockdown (laughs) was last March. Um, I think it's going to go on for a very long time. And to be honest, I, I don't think it's actually going to end until people push it you know and and people say we've had enough of this we're not following your stupid rules anymore but it's just it's sad seeing so many people believing everything that the government says and just being so obedient um Mm. and just the government don't seem to really know what they're doing they change their rules every week and I don't know how people can be bothered following everything that they say and then abiding by what they say as well because they obviously haven't got a clue what they're doing um, and also, I don't know if it's the same for, for you guys, but in the United Kingdom, they're recording everybody who died with COVID. So for example, yeah, is it the same there? No. My uh, my granddad passed away in January. He had pneumonia and Parkinson's disease. He basically died of old age. Um, and I think it was three days before he died, he caught COVID in hospital and he had no no symptoms or anything. It did nothing to him. They've put COVID on his death certificate. And it's just disgusting. So we have these really high numbers of this is how many people have died with COVID, but they haven't actually told us how many people have died of COVID. Yeah, over here, they were even doing that with head trauma and things like that. Uh, there was a this this motorcycle accident where somebody died, um, uh, you know, because of COVID. <laughs> but really, it was just head trauma. Um I, I mean, I'm seeing so much compliance over here as well. It's it's very disappointing because I used to have this haughty attitude, like the the American spirit is so independent and 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 that this is why we we left Britain and blah blah blah. But it, it's exactly the same over here. I'm seeing so much compliance, and and now I'm like, now that I'm seeing the West just just fall into line, I'm like, America's no different. We have no American exceptionalism. I've just lost all my patriotism and I just, I just don't care. So I really admire what you're doing. I have a lot of questions about that. It seems like uh, there's a stronger sense of European identity and British identity and uh, your, your group, the patriotic alternative. Um, you re- it really seems like you want to resurrect your culture specifically. And that's such a big part of your identity. Is there anything that would cause you to leave? To leave Britain? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Nowhere. I, I, depending on how bad things get in the future, I, I reckon I'll probably be maybe one of the people who goes down with the country. I don't know. But hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll win and we'll get a chance to rebuild something new. But, um, I mean, all white countries are all Western countries, apart from a few exceptions, are basically going through the same thing that we're going through anyway. So if we were to move to, I don't know, somewhere on mainland Europe or Australia, I mean, what's to say that the same thing isn't going to happen to them? Uh, I know there are countries like Hungary and and Poland, which are a bit more uh, conservative or culturally right wing, but I I worry that they'll get their grips into them as well. Um, I think we need to fight for our country. I can't imagine me and my husband and our future family moving anywhere else. That's lovely to hear because uh, we've really lost that in America. I mean, I don't speak for everybody, but when I think about sacrificing for my country and, and everything like that, I'm like, why? Like, why, <laughs> why, why would I do that? Because I don't feel a strong connect connection with America. And I don't believe in even our founding principles anymore. Um, so we, a lot of Americans that feel the same way that feel disaffected have this, elaborate fantasy of European repatriation. <laughs> and I was just wondering if you see any feasible way forward or if that would just really piss off Europeans. I mean, so many of us are 99% Western European, 99% Northern European. I'm, I'm over 90% English and I, I have all these fantasies of moving to the English countryside and raising these, these lovely British children and everything. And um, it just seems like they will take all the Muslim migrants, but I have no way to get there. And, and almost everybody I know with English heritage and Irish heritage, n- nobody has right of return because they don't have one grandparent, which I think you can only do in Ireland, that was that was born there. So is there any feasible way for Americans that are feeling disaffected to, to repatriate? Would that be something you guys are even open to? <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I get asked this question all the time because we have a lot of supporters in America and Britain, and we would absolutely love ethnically British people to come back to Europe or Northwest European people to come back to Europe. Um, And 
we could never do it on DNA because I, I don't think there would ever be a way where we can say, if you have a DNA test and you're ethnically British, you can come in. I think that I would like to do that, but I think it would be too discriminatory and we, we would never be able to pass it. But there should be a way where you can do it if you have uh, evidence of maybe a, a grandparent or a great grandparent having um, citizenship in Britain or being born in Britain, that kind of thing. Because before 1948, um, we were pretty much homogenous anyway in Britain. We didn't start with mass immigration until Empire Windrush in 48. So if you've got ancestry dating back to before then, then it's like 99.9%, there's a 99.9% chance that you're ethnically British. So if we could do it based on the citizenship or the nationality of your grandparents, that might be a way that we can do it. But yeah, I totally would want, you know, people in Australia who are mainly British and people in Canada and even um, the Boers in South Africa, I'd love them to, if they're, you know, struggling over there with all the problems that they're facing, I'd love them to come to Britain. And they integrate, they might not be British, but they integrate a lot more than the people that we're getting. <laughs> that's definitely true. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, maybe I can I can keep this fantasy, keep this fantasy alive, although I'm sure the powers that be would never allow it. Um, I heard you earlier mention um building something new. And although I'm <clears throat> pretty blackpilled, especially about the situation in the US, um, that's what we should be focusing on, building something new. And I think that the way to do that is to keep the flame of Western culture alight uh, while we're under attack and then uh, to kind of take a step back where we can and see what what new thing that we can build that we can protect. Um, do you think that that's possible? I mean, we talk a lot about balkanization because we have so much space in the States. Uh, but what does that look like to you um, in Europe? Uh, we're, we're trying to go down every path that we can go down. So we've submitted a bid to be a political party, but the Electoral Commission aren't letting us through. And they've declined us, I think, four times now. And they're declining us on the most finicky, irrelevant, stupid things. <laughs> let other parties through with they're declining us um i won't tell you the ethnicity of the four people who've declined <laughs> none of them are british um so we we're really struggling to go down the official sort of democratic route because they're just not letting us do it so our focus at the moment and this will be a long-term focus no matter what happens with the electoral commission but it's been community building and activism because they can stop us from ever, you know, ruling the country, becoming prime minister, all that kind of stuff. But they can't stop us from making communities. Um, Patriotic Alternative has been going now for 18 months. And we currently have around 15,000 supporters. Those are active wow. supporters people who have signed up with us to, to do stuff, whether it's something online or something in real life. And I would imagine that we actually have supporters as well who kind of watch on but haven't signed up for anything. So this network that we're creating, they're just the best people, just kind, passionate, brave, patriotic, hardworking people. And if it comes to the point where the demographics of the country just keep getting worse and worse and worse, and we end up having to rebuild, I don't know, we could start with our own village, you know, and I'll go live near each other and, and build it up from scratch again. We've also got an alternative curriculum on the website, which has been created by teachers for parents who want to home educate their children. Um, there are all sorts of stuff that we do. We, do, we have a homeless outreach initiative. Um, we have litter picking groups across the country. So yeah, it's just about being there for each other, really, and, and creating something new. But I don't know how bad it's going to get. If if things keep going as they are, then by uh, around two, 2060, British people will be a minority in Britain. That's ethnically British people. Um, and then we're already a minority in, in London, Leicester, Luton, Slough, Birmingham, places all over the country. And I think as that, con that figure continues to drop, uh, crime will continue to rise um our people will continue to feel atomized and like strangers living in their own homes uh and then you know outside groups will continue to behave like victims and demand reparations and all this kind of stuff and our people will feel more and more and more guilty and it's just about getting those people early and and telling them that you shouldn't feel guilty for who you are you should feel proud you don't you don't owe anybody anything uh come and be part of our community and let's see what we can build that's so lovely. And you recently made this video. Um, <clears throat> her name escapes me. She's this Indian politician. But she basically said on Twitter that uh, the multiculturalism is a punitive measure because of the British Empire. And uh, I actually laughed when I saw that because and you mentioned this in your video as well. But I love it when they tell the truth, you know, when they tell the truth, even if it's on accident um, or accidentally. I, I think that she probably knew what she was doing. 
it seemed like she was angry. Uh, but do you think that that these things, when politicians, especially minority politicians, are telling the truth about demographic demise and their intent with our nations, uh, do you think that that's really going to wake up the masses in such a way that it will create critical mass uh, and change things in time? I think it's, I don't think there's going to be this mass awakening where one event happens and everybody wakes up because I think if that was going to happen, it would have happened last year with the BLM riots. Yeah. I mean, we had people setting fire to the union flag, um, pulling statues down. You guys have had it worse than us, I think. Um, rioting, you know, setting shops on fire, all that kind of stuff. Politicians and police officers taking the knee. It's just been disgusting. I think if that can happen and you haven't woke up and thought, okay, race is real these guys have in-group preference, we need something as well to defend yeah. ourselves. I kind of think that maybe you're a lost cause. Uh, even my my sister, who's not interested in politics at all, last year she got interested uh, because of the BLM riots. So I don't think there's going to be this mass event where people wake up. But I think it takes something different for different people. Um, I mean, we have a girl with us called Jodie. I don't know if you know her, Jodie Kerr. She's a, a, a singer and a songwriter. And she moved over from the left. And it was just a conversation that she had with, I think it, it was a non-white friend. I think it was a black friend that she had, where he basically told her that she was guilty for something that she hadn't done. And that woke her up and she moved over to the right. So I think it's different things for different people. And you've just got to try and have a conversation with somebody about something that relates to them. Because it might be to do with, I don't know, they might have kids and their kid might be one of only a handful of, British children in their classroom and they might be being held back because the other kids can't speak English very well you know stuff like that there are all different issues that we can pick up to uh, speak to people about and bring them over but um, I don't think that there's going to be like this mass awakening but I, I also don't think that we need one either we only need a, a very dedicated small minority to start some sort of revolution and to change things and you will find that the majority of the population will just follow the dominant narrative and we'll just follow whatever's easy so as long as we have you know some good people to start with then i think we'll be okay i'm really impressed with the positive initiatives that you've taken and such a wide outreach with patriotic alternative i think that that's going to create a tremendous positive response and giving people a sense of community is going to help so much to reduce drug use to create families to reduce suicide rate so i think you guys are really on the right track and i think that um as long as we can form those communities, at least in the interim, uh, that people can hang on until we can have these uh, communities and villages. But on on the ground level, um, you know, we have we have one on one conversations with people that wake people up all all the time, like like the story you just mentioned with your with your sister and and uh, Jody, I think you said. Um, but I've also heard you say that we that, that you're you're growing tired of approaching people with logic and reason. And so am I. It's like, if if all of this stuff and then the coronavirus and everything like that hasn't woken anybody up, I'm just not interested in trying to influence you anymore because it seems like it's you're impermeable. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to reach you. And I heard Computing Forever say, um, Dave Cullen, you're trying to use the logic key on the emotion door, Rebecca. And I, and I think about that all the time when I'm trying to reason with people, like as though logic is going to just open their mind and everything like that. It's not, it's going to be these personal conversations, these personal relationships. So when somebody is confronting you and you feel like maybe you can influence them, how do you do it um, when you know they're not going to be responsive to a logical answer? Well, do you know what? I don't actually encounter many people in real life that are like the people on Twitter. And I had my Twitter account for 11 years. And when I got oh. suspended, I woke up that morning and I, I checked. And the only emotion that I felt was glad because I hate everyone on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I got to the point where I just weren't responding to people anymore on Twitter. And I feel like I did quite a few years in the trenches on the front line on Twitter, you know, arguing with people going backwards and forwards. And you just can't convert them, even if you catch them out and they agree with you they'll come back the next day and they'll pretend the conversation never happened and they'll just back, be back to square one so these people they're just not worth your time at all <laughs> yeah. in real life I don't I don't know anyone like that I don't know any of these midwits and these hatchlings and these concern trolls all the people that I talk to are just normal people who seem open to having a conversation um so I, I think the internet does work for waking people up because I learned a lot on Twitter and I woke up to racial politics on Twitter and it was from just following accounts who were nationalists 
um, looking at their tweets and then also looking at their conversations with other people. So I think rather than you wasting loads of time and just going in on one person and trying to convert that one person, maybe think about the fact that, you know, 10,000 people are following you and what are they going to pick up on? But then I would say in real life, um, I think you just need to give people time and you just need to, rather than trying to lock them down during that conversation, like drip feed them little bits of information, um, come back to the conversation again and again, and maybe just ask what they think about something and don't, don't push them, you know, don't force them to wake up straight away. Um, and it does work. I mean, my, my dad, just to give you another example, um, I don't know if you saw Teagate last year, but I was in all the newspapers because I had an argument with Yorkshire Tea on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the newspapers were calling me a neo-Nazi and a white supremacist and all that stuff. And um, I never really spoke to my dad about politics. And because I was in all the newspapers, I thought my dad's going to see me in the papers. I'm going to have to speak to him. So I phoned him up and I said, oh, dad, I just want to tell you about, you know, what I work as. These are my politics. Don't believe So me. he had no idea? I think he knew that I was on the right, but he didn't know the extent <laughs> that, that it was. And I, so I phoned him up and I told him all my views. And I said, you know, I, one of the examples I gave was about black people committing crime. And I said, um, you know, it's not because of systemic racism. It's because they commit more crime. And at the end of the conversation with my dad I just explained everything and he went yeah I know and I agree with you on everything and my dad's like exactly the same views as me but we never had a conversation about politics and he's just such a nice guy he's so gentle um he works in a manual job but then he also is the local church caretaker as well he helps to clean the garden and all that stuff and you would never expect that he had the same views as me because he just comes across as somebody who's so kind and forgiving um but he did. So I think sometimes we do underestimate, you know, the everyday person, maybe even people we know. Uh, I think that they they're not as stupid as the media might paint them as being. Oh, of course not. And uh, I'm sure they're having interactions with people all the time that are f informing their worldview. That's just how humans are. So to act like they're not noticing the demographic replacement of their beloved home country, I mean, is, is a preposterous notion. People are tuned in to what's going on, um, whether or not even they realize it. And I think most of the time uh, they do. But I am amazed that you take so much heat in terms of racial awareness and patriotism. Uh, everything I've heard you say has been relatively uncontroversial. It's been fact-based statements that were nearly universally held viewpoints just a few decades ago. <laughs> just a few decades ago. This is how everybody thought. Um, yet here we are. What do you think has been the single most precipitating event in the last few years? Uh, although this is kind of a BS question because it's been so many things. So you, you can answer a few things if you want. That has kind of uh, projected us into this topsy-turvy realm where our lives can be totally destroyed for making plain observations. Uh, I do think the BLM riots last year was fundamental because anybody who spoke out in opposition to it were put on this platform and just completely abused and ridiculed and I think that it forced a lot of people to stay quiet about it um obviously I had it with Teagate because I said that I didn't support Black Lives Matter so I had all these newspapers <laughs> writing articles about me just because I don't support Black Lives Matter I, I don't actually know anybody who supports Black Lives Matter um and then I think Nigel Farage said something about them on his radio show uh, the week after and then he got sacked from his radio show Katie Hopkins said something and she got in trouble as well it seems that anybody who speaks out even if you just relay the facts and say this is what they want to do xyz and um, this is why I don't support them then you just finished so yeah I think a lot of people watched that event last year and seeing the violence it woke them up but also seeing that you you couldn't speak about it either um, there was like one set opinion that you were allowed to have and anything else, you were evil. Um, seeing our politicians kneel, that to me was just <sighs> so embarrassing. And our police officers, um, yeah, it, it the racial stuff from last year really just seemed to have like spiralled us forward 10 years or something. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest. And also, that's the event that woke the most people up and brought them to Patriotic Alternative. Uh, you know, a lot of the messages that we get are saying that oh, I, I came over to nationalism last year because of BLM. So they do us a favor, really. <laughs> what about coronavirus? Has that uh, in, in the United States, I think that that has probably been more influential in terms of, of waking people up than um, than our racial issues, which are 
they they got really bad around Ferguson. Um, so all the Black Lives Matter stuff, it's kind of just a it, it's kind of snowball. This is not really a new thing for us. But coronavirus has uh, been a tremendous divider because even on the right, we still have some people that are that are believers in this in this media narrative. And I, I know your grandfather supposedly died of COVID, but if the media wasn't telling people, I don't think anybody would know that this was happening. You would just see an old person die of pneumonia or something like that. And they wouldn't be investigating their death because, you know, old people die all the time from a variety of causes. So people here, especially in North Idaho, where I live, um, they will see somebody in a mask and they will just stare that person down. There is a huge division going on because of coronavirus. How has that contributed to the political climate in the UK? Well, it's interesting because the left seem to be the ones who are supporting the mainstream narrative, you know, listening to the experts, listening to the government, uh, even though they're the underdogs, you know, the ones who are against the establishment, supposedly. Oh, yeah. And then the right are the ones that are questioning everything. And it's interesting to see these, like Antifa, for example, it's interesting to see Antifa, who were supposed to be totally anti-establishment and against the system, the fascist system, as they call it. Boris Johnson's apparently a fascist. They just listen to everything and follow all the rules. Um, and then you've got nationalists who obviously in reality are the ones who are fighting the system. You know, we're, we're the ones who are having our borders opened and um, we're the ones being put in prison for hate speech and all that kind of stuff. They're less trusting of the government. And I, I think that, that tells a lot, really, because the left, all of their views, you know, whether it being pro-LGBT or pro-open borders, pro-diversity and tolerance, they're reiterated through their brains from the moment that they're born to the day that they die. They hear it at school, they hear it at university, they hear it in the media, they hear it from politicians, they see it in advertising, they, they hear it and see it in Hollywood. It's constant and they their lives are just, they must feel like they're wrapped up in cotton wool or something because they have the privilege of actually trusting the government and believing what the government say. I don't trust anything that the government says. There was a report done two months ago uh, which was about hateful extremism. And they named me by name in the report, basically saying that I haven't broken the law with anything I've done. So they want to change the law and have this new category called hateful extremism so that I can be a criminal. Um, they mentioned other people too, including my colleague and friend, Mark Collett. So I, I don't trust the government at all because I know that they don't care about us. Um, but yeah, the left do when it comes to COVID, they're the ones wearing the masks, they're the ones that are, are behaving and following all the rules. Ah, oh, that's so disappointing. I'm so disappointed in all of our country. Something I have seen in the UK that I have not seen here yet, which it's coming, obviously, is um is this bank account thing. And so I was hoping you could elaborate on this. I, you have been banned just across the board. It's incredible. And uh, I, I've heard that you did not have access to your checking account funds for two weeks because of your political affiliations. Could you tell this story? This is shocking. Yeah, it was actually longer than two weeks. I think it was, was it about a month or something? Um, basically, I went to draw some, well, actually, I went to pay on my card and my card declined and I had money in my bank account. Um, I went to the cash point and my card wouldn't work. I went into the bank and I had to queue up for ages. And then they took me into a little room and they read me this statement. And it said, uh, we've locked your bank account. We're not going to give you a reason why. Uh, we might be in touch in the future and we might give you a reason why, but we can't tell you when that's going to be. So I was like, okay, can I have access to my money then? Because I was in Leeds City Centre and I had to get home, which is um, about eight miles away. So they wouldn't give me any money out of my bank account. Um, this went on for about a month. And they wouldn't, uh, when I phoned them up to speak to them on the phone, they wouldn't tell me anything. Uh, they wouldn't give me any of my money or anything like that. It went on for about a month. And then eventually, I was I, I was with Santander, by the way. I went to my local branch again and... Um, I'm just going in and like kicking off all the time because I was really struggling struggling to live and, and get by. Yeah. I went to my local branch and they basically told me, oh, we've closed your bank account down. Um, we don't have to give you a, why, a, a reason why, but we've agreed to give you your money in your bank. Uh, I was like, well, that's nice of you. Thanks for giving me my own money. Uh, but they wrote me a check and I didn't have a bank account, so I couldn't do anything with the check. Um, so, yeah, it was just a nightmare, but... Um, Basically, I asked for a freedom of information request to find out why they'd closed my bank account down and they'd redacted loads of information from the freedom of information request so I couldn't see why. But it was it came from outside the bank. So it came from someone who has the power to tell the bank to shut someone's bank account down. 
Um, and they did it to Mark at the same time, which is why we know it's political, because I was with Santander and he was with HSBC. And it happened to us both on the same day. Um, yeah, so <laughs> not allowed a bank account and I haven't done anything wrong. But yeah, it's, it's mental. That's shocking. I mean, well, this is coming for all of us. I, I feel like if somebody like you or Mark is being labeled a an extremist and they're trying to retroactively change the law to, to make, make you seem like you've committed hate crimes, uh, at some point this will come for the average British citizen as well. So oh, if, if, if you get in this kind of situation where you've been canceled and they're canceling your bank account, I mean, how have you made it work? How, uh, how do you operate um, in the face of such discrimination? Well, I think being a nationalist, you are always jumping from one thing to the next and always trying to find ways to do stuff. Um, I don't think people understand how difficult it can be when you are public, you know, with your name and face out there, because I run a business as well. I own my I, I own my own tea company, Grandma Towers, which was named after my grandma. And it was so difficult to set it up because I couldn't use a mainstream platform. I couldn't use a mainstream payment processor. I had to be careful with all my suppliers so that the public wouldn't find out who they were and then harass them. Um, you do kind of live every day looking over your shoulder, I think, wondering if you're going to get shut down from something or suspended from something, or you're going to have committed a new sort of crime tomorrow. Um, but luckily, I live with my husband and um, he, I mean, he's involved in politics as well. Uh, Sam, he's the Yorkshire regional organiser, um, but he hasn't been attacked by the establishment as much as I have yet. Um, but we support each other. And then also I have a very good family. So um, my family helped me out if I need anything and, and I also help them out. So yeah, it's just about <laughs> us supporting each other, I guess, and seeing how, how we can get on. But it is difficult, you know, people on the internet, um, I don't when they're anonymous, I don't think they understand sort of how much you put at risk really when you are public. It, it does get quite tough. People just live in fear of this of this cancel culture and when I was doxxed, it was it was really traumatic emotionally. Like it was really scary, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And it it eventually just kind of blew over. And I think that that's what happens for most people that get canceled. They think it's never going to end. They're in the news, and then a week later, everybody's um totally forgotten. Just totally forgotten because they found somebody new to cancel. So for people in that situation that are kind of in hot water at work for making a remark, uh, this will end. And the more people that they cancel, the larger community they make for us to interact with one another, to have commerce with one another, to build communities and businesses with one another. Pretty soon, so many people will be canceled that um, we can all just do that with each other. We can have our own banks at some point too. Um, but I think for women, this is particularly difficult uh, emotionally because I don't think that we're really... Uh, able to steal ourselves in the way that that men are. So I'm, I'm really happy that you have a husband that knows what's going on and that he's really supportive of that. Um, so I did want to kind of ask some questions about um, femininity and traditionalism, because I know you were just married and, and you do have a really strong voice on the right. And there is this attitude that women shouldn't be in politics. And for the most part, um, I agree. I mean, I look at the disastrous situation in in America, especially, and and the leftist women, and I'm just like, uh, no, we shouldn't be able to vote, and we should all get out of politics. So, uh, but, which is hypocrisy because of because of my my voice on YouTube and everything like that. But what do you think the female role should be for nationalists and uh, European nationalists, especially? Um, should we be really vocal or should we tend to try to stay at home and support our husbands or can we do both? Um, well, I agree with you. I think we're on the same page because I don't work in politics because I have this dream of being a career woman and, you know, being in the public eye and all that kind of stuff. I'm actually very introverted and I feel completely smothered doing this sometimes. But the reason that I do it is because I feel like I have to, because not many other people are stepping up. And my dream job is, um, I guess I would like to maybe just do a bit of writing, maybe anonymously, um, and be a housewife to Sam. And uh, we're working towards having our own family now as well. And I'd like to focus 100% on that and not really have to work in politics. But yeah, like I say, I, I just think that not many people have stepped forward. Um, so I kind of am <laughs> a reluctant minor figurehead I guess um but I do enjoy it and I do think I can do my job well and I do think I get a 
a good response from people for being the deputy of Patriotic Alternative. Um, it's very rewarding and it's nice working with Mark as well and it's nice being part of the community. But I think a lot of the people who complain about women um, don't actually do anything themselves. So <laughs> yeah. if you can give me a man in Britain who wants to be the deputy leader of PA who can do a better job than I can, then I'm happy to stand down. <laughs> you know, people moan on the internet, but not many people <laughs> step forward themselves. So being an introvert, and that must be very difficult. You're you're a very feminine introvert, and you, you've kind of been thrust into this public realm where people see you as this uh, tremendous extremist and as a, a person that's that's very vocal and that has this this whole movement behind you, which I think is is a misrepresentation of of who you are and what you do. Do you feel like being a leader in patriotic alternative runs contrary? to your introverted nature, to your femininity? How do you kind of square that circle? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I'm somebody who, if I say, if we have a, a PA event or a conference and I spend all day around people, I need to just go away and lock myself into a room for like a week afterwards and not speak to anyone. <laughs> um, but I am actually, obviously I'm not the leader, I'm the deputy leader. So I see my role more as a support role to Mark and he's the, you know, the, the alpha at the top and I more support him and, uh, we have a good dynamic between us. I think I'm um, obviously more feminine and, and softer and I can soften the look for nationalism, which I think helps bring more people over. And then obviously, obviously he's got the more, exper more experience than I have. And also he's um, a lot more ruthless as well, I think. So, yeah, we just work together well. But um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not really a people person. So it is kind of it is difficult. And I do find myself having to push myself in the deep end quite a lot but um like I say it's, it is a re rewarding job and I can't complain about it I, I do really enjoy it and maybe one day uh, I won't have to <laughs> I won't have to do it anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this job does feel obligatory sometimes I, I'm with you there um do you think that marriage has changed your concept of femininity you, you seem like you've been really consistent about the female role for as long as I've, I've seen you in the public sphere um but do you think marriage has allowed you to be more in tune with your femininity um especially because day to day you're in kind of a supportive role for a strong man yeah I would say so and um Sam and I moved in together um, we had a little flat to begin with and now we have a house we actually moved into the house the week that we got married um, and he is I don't know if you know him or if you've seen him on any streams or if anyone who's listening has seen him but he is um, a natural leader and he's confident and he's very manly um, just to give you an example one of the trees fell down in the local park the other day and he went out with his axe and started chopping it up and made firewood out of it I was like that's such a manly thing to do um, but yeah our dynamic it just works and we have different jobs in the house we complement each other and and also I find myself um feeling really fulfilled when I make him happy and that's not something that I've ever had before even if it's just something like um you know preparing a meal for when he gets home or doing all the washing and, and putting it away or making the bed or cleaning up that kind of stuff feminists would probably kill me and say you shouldn't feel happy because you've done the man's washing but I actually really like to make his day easier and really like to please him in that way um and I know that it works both ways as, as well just another example he just made a shoe rack <laughs> he made it out of wood um, because I had too many shoes, he had too many shoes, they were all over the floor, we were tripping over them. He did that and it's just a little thing that you know makes me a little bit happier. Um, and I think that's how the dynamic should work between male and female really. Um, you know, we have different roles, we have different strengths and weaknesses and it works together. I, I, love, I love hearing that. Um... The, the coronavirus, something that is good and positive that has come out of this is that I think there was even a New York Times article or some the Guardian, something like that, about how this has kind of pushed women back into traditional gender roles because uh, at, at the most they're working from home. And so they're having to derive some pleasure from these homemaking activities. And I was seeing little pictures of uh, these these fierce feminists like doing adorable cross stitching and all this. And they just looked so, so pleased and so happy with themselves. And, and I just wonder why more women don't realize that it's easier to be a housewife and to do these small things around the house that make your husband and your children happy um, than it is to be this go-getter in, in the career field. So, so do you think that it's just merely the indoctrination that has caused women to 
run contrary to their natural their natural instincts? Um, or do you think that there's more at play here? Because with, you can see these feminists, they're they're cooking and cleaning, and, and it's it's making them happy. Yeah, well, I um after school, I went to college and then I went to university and um, I studied politics, actually, and I graduated with a first class, first class honours. So I got a good job and then I swapped to another job and then another job. And I had this really good job and I was earning really good money. And I used to find myself just sat in the office, kind of looking out the window, thinking, I don't want to be here, even though this is something that I've set up for myself throughout my whole life, you know, working hard, studying. In fact, when I was at university, I studied full time. And I worked full time as well. And I used to work through the night. I'd finish work at 6am. And then I'd go to university at 9am. I don't know how I did that for three years. But um, you did I used that to for three find... years? Yeah, for three years. And I used to just find myself sat in this office thinking, I'm just not fulfilled at all. You know, I'm smashing all my targets. I'm doing really well. This is what I wanted to do. Um, but it it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. So I quit my job um, to focus on activism and you know nationalism and politics and stuff and I took a huge 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 pay cut and started earning about a quarter of the amount that I was earning before but I was just so much more happy and just actually dedicating my time towards something that I wanted to do and I think that a lot of women it's just expected you know that you get an education you travel a bit you prioritize your friends and then you don't settle down until later life and luckily me and Sam met each other while we were still young enough to have a family and stuff but that could have happened to me like I could have got to I don't know maybe 40 or in my 40s or something and thought now I want kids and and then it's unfortunately going to be a big struggle to have kids um and also if we look at the happiness trends of of women uh, they've been gradually declining since about the 1960s and in the 1990s men actually became happier than women for the first time because women's is dropping so rapidly and I think when women lived under the natural dignity of their sex and, you know, they had uh, a fulfilling role raising children and, you know, not having to worry about all these bills and, you know, money and hierarchy and status and stuff, I think women were happier. Uh, I'm not saying it's the case for every single woman, because obviously it's not. But I think for the majority of women, they were happier in the olden days than they are now. That's true. It's remarkable to think that uh, even in a pre-medicine era, pre-germ theory era, people would lose so many of their children, but they still had more purpose in life. And I think they were, they were happier. And and I like what you just said. Did you say um, natural dignity uh, for women? Yes. <laughs> that's a, that's a very kind phrase. I think I'm going to adopt it. Um, but, but it's, it's just remarkable to think that, that when people, uh, had much harder lives that they still were deriving so much more satisfaction um, because they were doing what they were supposed to supposed to be doing. And I had a similar experience where I um, I went to college and and I got these these kind of high pressure jobs that I just failed at miserably. I was not smashing all of my targets, but I but I was dissatisfied because I was thinking, is this what my life is going to be? And luckily, I, I made it in time, and I have a child now, and hopefully more to come. But uh, it, it could have been an absolute disaster and I could be looking around at my life in 10 years, childless and some meaningless job that I hate. And, and then what does the next 40 years of your life look like? I mean, what do you do if you're in that situation? Um, and I have a lot of, of pity and sadness uh, for women that have been sold this bill of goods and that have bought into it. Um, and my heart really goes out to them because they've they've been lied to. And so... I think that one of the roles for for nationalist women should be telling younger women you are under no obligation to get a high pressure job. Uh, nobody's going to think that you're better for it or more more well rounded for it. You're under no obligation to uh, to get an education from outside sources. If you are self educated and you're reading and you're doing a good job, that is enough. That's absolutely enough. And if you're satisfied in your job as wife and mother. Um, and you're fulfilled by that, then then and that makes you whole. Then I congratulate you, and and you need to seek nothing beyond that. Uh, so, do you think that there's any way that we can really target young women? And have you seen this effect in patriotic alternative? I, I do get emails from women every once in a while, like I wasn't interested in having kids until I started watching your video. I'm 22. I'm like right on. <laughs> That's so great to hear. So, are you having the same kind of experience um, with people in your group? Yeah, I, I think something like 90% of my YouTube followers are men, <laughs> because obviously the topics that I talk about. Um, so I I get a lot of 
men who are older come to me and say uh, they just can't find a decent woman because all the women where they live are just you know crazy purple-haired feminists that support the Labour Party and that stuff um but I do see the other side as well you know I have some friends in real life who really do want to settle down and they just can't find a nice enough guy they've been messed around by certain men and stuff so I think that both sexes need to do better for each other and try and you know work on self-improvement and be worthy of a good partner um and I also think that having positive role models is a good thing uh, you know the work that you're doing with um the streams that you did with Robin on motherhood were brilliant I watched them um and also I, I don't think it just needs to be women talking about politics just anything um before I got suspended from Instagram I used to follow sort of like fashion um fitness exercise accounts and they were all massive massive lefties they wouldn't tweet about it constantly they'd maybe tweet about makeup but then they'd put up like a Black Lives Matter post in the middle of everything and it's like can can you just stop can I just enjoy makeup without this indoctrination dripping in all the time and wouldn't it be good if we had females that spoke about like um, lifestyle stuff or fitness stuff or fashion stuff but then they didn't drip in anti-white pro-diversity stuff they actually dripped in traditionalism instead so I think it's up to us to try and you know at least get some role models in all sectors really. I think that's definitely true and we should also be trying to infiltrate media as much as we can um I love Murdoch Murdoch. I love it's so funny. I can't get enough. And I just wish we had uh, you know, more of that, more, more people creating, creating art in, in that way. And and I would love to uh take over the cultural narrative by doing that. And I'm always hearing from the left that we're dog whistling, we're dog whistling. And I'm like, well, yeah, uh, I, I do it constantly. Of course I'm dog whistling. I mean, you guys have total control of the narrative. Every commercial I see is like some Jewish guy with a black wife and their three kids. I'm like, that couple does not exist. Like, it, it, like there are like five couples like that in America and it's every commercial. It's like, you guys are constantly, I'm constantly being inundated with this propaganda. Like, why can't we do it? Just like, just a little bit. Um, and I know some of these people are hiding their power level on YouTube. I know they are because I follow a lot of like, Christian homemakers with seven children in Missouri, and they never talk about politics. They never say anything at all that's um, that's pro or anti diversity. But I, I'm like, you know, you live you live in Missouri. You've got a ton of kids. You live on a farm. There is no way that you are peddling this BLM nonsense. So yeah, if if anybody has any special skills and they want to start a YouTube channel or an Instagram account about fitness or makeup or all the stuff that women that women love and are interested in, and they just want to drop in some some pro-white agenda stuff uh i'll help promote your account i'll do it because i still have an instagram account remarkably um i did have one more question for you i saw that you stopped making youtube videos voluntarily and that is a great decision i'm still on youtube don't know how i must not be talking about important enough stuff um i think it's such a wise move to try to build your alternative platform uh, i really don't know how either of us have managed to survive this long anyway so feel free to in this interview saying anything you want to, because if my channel got nuked in this interview, I'd be uh, totally, totally pleased. But I did want to ask you, what issues do you think are the most taboo? Because it seems like um, racial issues are pretty taboo, but Stefan Molyneux got banned and I've never heard him talk about Judaism before. Uh, and I feel like there's not really a method to the madness in terms of who they're banning. They seem to be harder on people in the UK. Uh, but what do you think is is the single most taboo issue that if you avoid it, you can stay on YouTube? Yeah, it's interesting because I still have my YouTube channel, but um, I I've noticed that so many people have been unsubscribed from my channel. Right. And I've even had messages from people saying that they were halfway through watching one of my videos and they became unsubscribed. <laughs> um, I get, I don't know, maybe 10 messages a week from people saying I've had to resubscribe to your channel. Um, YouTube kept putting my videos into limited state. They demonetized my channel. They put age restrictions on my videos so that then they don't show up in recommended for everyone. And I just got sick of jumping through hoops, really. Mm -hmm. I just thought, I'm, I'm just not playing your game anymore. And I'm not looking over my shoulder and checking that I still have my account. Screw it, I'm going to quit. So my account is still up so people can find my videos. But I've only been uploading videos to Bitchu and Odyssey recently. And it's like starting again, because I think on Bitchu I, I have 14,000 subscribers and Odyssey 
Uh, I have 3,000. So I'm trying to get everyone to migrate over to those platforms. Um, but I don't know how I still have my YouTube channel because I think the majority of people who are in my circle have already been suspended. I, I can only think of Morgoth is left. Um, I don't know how. Maybe the algorithm understands <laughs> yeah. what he's saying. Um, Mark's still got his channel, but he doesn't upload on there anymore. Um, and I, I think literally everyone else is. I think maybe Keith Woods has got his. Mm. Or Ed Dutton has got his. Um, but he's having problems all the time. So there are a few people left. Um, but they there doesn't really seem to be any like sort of pattern or logic to who they suspend because they suspended do you know jared george the great order yes he, yeah yeah he was suspended and he just uploads kind of like uplifting poetry and stuff um so there doesn't really seem to be any pattern or logic i mean the topic that you're not allowed to talk about is a certain group in the middle east and a certain historical event that's the topic <laughs> that you're not allowed to talk about um but it seems that sometimes people don't talk about that and still get suspended so yeah, yeah. Uh, James also was uh, so good at at talking around that specific issue. And so I thought he w is never going to get banned because he never directly said anything. He was one of the first people to get the axe. And so I just decided to say whatever I want, especially on my podcast, and I'm still here and I cannot figure it out. I don't know why. I, I can't figure out why you're still there. And then there's some accounts where I hear things and I'm like, how? How how are how have not all of us been banned? And then Stephen oh, Molyneux also, got the axe. Yeah, there was also the iconoclast. Did uh huh. You yeah. Um, he was suspended. I think he had about two hundred and fifty thousand subs, um, and he was definitely to the left of me and Mark and the stuff that we talk about. And you know, people like Morgoth and Way of the World, they seem to get rid of him straight away because he he was bringing a lot of people over. His channel was growing so fast. So I think if they recognize you as maybe as a gateway or some sort of threat, they seem to want to get rid of you. <laughs> That's true. I always say that Tim Pool is the gateway drug to the Daily Stormer um, because that is how people kind of get radicalized. Uh, they, they start off with something that they can just take a little piece of it and then digest that and then they want a little bit more and then they just keep going down and then they love um, Andrew Anglin. Uh, anyway, is there anything else you wanted to tell the audience if they're not familiar with Patriotic Alternative? I do have all of your alternative platforms linked uh, below. I think you're doing such fantastic work. Uh, you're so well-spoken and poised, and I'm I'm so happy to have a nationalist woman like you um, in our camp. It makes me feel a lot better. So if there's anything else you want to tell the audience if they're unfamiliar, that would be fantastic. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> it's been nice to speak to you. Um, yeah, I guess just uh, follow my accounts on, on Telegram, uh, Odyssey, Bitchu, and I have Gab as well. Um, if you're based in the United Kingdom, if you sign up on the Patriotic Alternative website, uh, we have regional groups across the whole country. We have 10 regional groups. We cover every single region now. Um, so we have 10 regional organisers and we're out basically every week doing stuff, you know, organising, networking, going on hikes, um, improving fitness, helping to clean up local areas um also we have we make like um food packages for homeless people and we go out and deliver them if you want to get involved in nationalist community building in the uk um yeah just sign up on the pa website and we'll get you in your local group but yeah it's been nice talking to you and uh thanks i've been following the live chat on youtube a little bit as well just want to say thanks to everyone uh, i've been reading your comments a bit i hope you enjoyed the stream <sighs> Thank you so much. That was my guest, Laura Towler. And thank you, audience, for joining us. We got up to like seven or 800 live views. So that's fantastic. Um, and I'd really appreciate your support if you could send, send it over to Patriotic Alternative. That would be lovely. And thanks again, Laura. And I will see you guys soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>